Why, hello there, priests. You have found the hardest book review podcast there is, where we digest life-changing books. We shit out greatness, and we change our lives one book at a time. Are you ready? Are you ready? Are you ready? Let's go. And here we go. Another special day. This is just straight knowledge about to be dropped from the void. This is Troy Hollings with the Curiously Disagreeable Podcast, and we are in for an intellectual treat today. Imagine if Achilles, Leonidas, Spartacus, or Hercules himself wrote the exact formula of their greatness. And in that book, They broke down their techniques and their philosophies and how they became gods among men. Now imagine if, while also being the best warrior of the age, say Spartacus, also happened to be a master carpenter, sculptor, and artist, nationally recognized for his skills. And when you asked him, how did he get so good? Hey man, how'd you get so good? He said he learned those arts by applying the way of the sword to painting or pottery. And then he did a little shameless plug and was like, bitch, I wrote about it in my damn book. Read my fucking book. Would you want to read that book? Would you maybe hope that by reading it through osmosis and diffusion, hope that even one drop of sweat from the great Hercules' balls could enter your bloodstream and shine light onto the way. Well, goddammit, good news, heifers. Today, we have such a book. As badass as if Hercules himself wrote it. The Book of Five Rings, Miyamoto Musashi, as well as his deathbed thoughts right before he fucking died in his book, The Way to Be Followed Alone. Are you kidding me? This is... That's ridiculous. It's amazing that we have that opportunity. You know, if if you don't know who Musashi is, I'll give you a free pass. You know, I don't know a lot about pop culture. You know, I know Adele's kind of fat and, you know, everybody likes her singing and stuff. And and I, I, I could probably name like five professional football players. Let me see. Richard Sherman. Um, Beast Mode Guy. What is it? Marshawn Lynch. Tom Brady? Still? Uh, the fridge. I don't know. I I don't fucking know. Uh, I could maybe name one player on the Indiana, Indianapolis, whatever. Pacers. Oladipo. But uh, that information is like three years old. He might not even be on the Pacers anymore. So I forgive you if you don't know who Miyamoto Musashi is. But I know like 400 metal bands. And I could name competitive IDPA professionals bodybuilders, and if there's one thing I do know, it is my goddamn ancient samurai. So I forgive you, but Miyamoto Musashi was the greatest swordsman that ever lived. Think about that. Think about all the people in the history of the world that used a sword. Add up all the cell phones in existence right now and multiply that by like 20, and that is how many people have practice the way of the sword and this bitch is the best that's ever lived he spent 13 to 30 traveling 
around 1500s Japan. He won 60 duels to the death, a lot of times humiliating his opponent, beating him to death with an oar. Uh, he participated in six battles. And battles back then, I mean, it wasn't like, you know, like a little, little get-together with swords. It was like 20,000 men on either side sprinting at each other. It was like rugby times 80,000. Imagine that shit. So he survived and thrived in six of them. And then, when he was 31, he retired, walked the earth for 20 years, thinking about the way and then lived in a damn cave and wrote us these damn books. And his goal was to teach knuckle-dragon baboons like us how to be a little bit better. Because the Book of Five Rings is Musashi's instruction manual to teach the way. So the way of swordsmanship, but even more broadly, the way of strategy, the way. And think of how crazy it is that we have access to this shit. That's like, if Steve Jobs wrote his exact principles for success and his domain instead of like damn computers was hacking people to death with swords. We just happen to be lucky enough to get all these life lessons from the greatest swordsman of all time during a time when the probability of that happening was, was near zero. I mean, the only reason we have this information is because uh, some studious monk copied it we don't even have the original think about that shit and and this book um you know i've got a i got a relationship with this book you know not sexual pervert but i um you know i grew up doing doing taekwondo and traditionally taekwondo is a little bit more of that uh, regimented asian culture uh traditional martial art um and I, so there was that backstop of discipline and we had to, you know, like to pass for your next belt, you had to learn certain Korean history things. But then my instructor was also a jujitsu practitioner and trained mixed martial arts. So I, I got the best of both worlds. I got the, the discipline of the traditional, but, but also the, the hit him with the brick mama uh, uh, of MMA. And so um, I, I just had always been attracted to, to these ideas because, um, you know, I, growing up, I got a sniff. I got a sniff of the way. And I was like, I, that shit smells good to me. And I also, I grew up in Korea, uh, you know, not for a long time, but when I was three till seven-ish, that's kind of right, I lived in South Korea. And so I just, I've always had just this deep respect for Asian culture. I mean, there's some of the, the hardest, most badass motherfuckers out there are, are Koreans and, and Japanese and, and, and whatever. Don't get outraged. I'm not saying they're the same. I'm just, I'm, I'm complimenting Asian culture because, you know, Western culture, we got excess. We got, we got capitalism, which is great, but you know, we got a lot of, it, it's impossible to go to a Lowe's and not see one of those just 600 pound people bound to one of those electric wheelchairs and, and the battery's slowly dying and they're getting pissed, but they can't walk anywhere to tell anyone. So they're just like looking around all angry and you walk by them, they like give you crazy eyes and you're like, you wanna see my crazy eyes? And then you give them way crazier eyes and then they like get all concerned. So Asian culture, it's fucking legit. 
And, and the first time I, I read this actually was on my way to wrestling camp. It's maybe 16. I, I, I was cutting weight because I, you know, I, I didn't really ask anybody. I thought you were supposed to fucking cut weight for wrestling camp. So I'd like hadn't drank anything or eaten anything in 24 hours. Turns out you just like showed up and it was like, whatever weight you weigh, we're going to all have fun. But so I showed up and I was just like, I'm ready to wrestle. And they're like, dude, you want, you want Dairy Queen? I'm like, what? We don't even have to fucking weigh in. Yes, I want Dairy Queen. But I, so I'm starving. I'm, I'm in this car and, you know, my, my nice father was driving me. And, you know, I'm like reading this book. I'm like, I, I don't really understand half the shit in here, but, but this, this seems fucking pretty cool. Second time that I read this book was in my pursuit of wanting to be a fighter. And, you know, I feel a little bit like that guy who, who's, you know, who always says, like, at any party, he's like, well, God, remember in high school when, when I was the team captain and, and we almost made it to state? So I'm not saying that. Like, time has passed. I'm, I, my back's fucked up. I, I don't do martial arts anymore. But I, I want to explain my mindset. You know, I was studying this book with the goal of, like, let me take, let me take, ancient secrets from people who fought and apply them to fighting and you know i was trying to like get okay with the concept of death which is crazy because i guess everybody else you know i don't know i feel like if you're really good at mma i mean you're ready to die you you've accepted death and so and you know i'm doing those swimming workouts with my good friend around the time that i'm reading this book and it's like a worthy death is the only option and you know, maybe I got a little crazy with it, but, um, you know, I, I annotated the book. And, and so this is my third time going through it. And, you know, I feel like you could go through it 20 times and still not pick up everything. Um, and, and honestly, I feel a little vulnerable. I, I almost don't feel qualified to analyze Musashi. I mean, there's the great Jocko covered this book. And, you know, that bitch has been to war. That bitch is a black belt at jiu-jitsu. I mean, he's he's the pinnacle of a man, and I'm what this little like broke back bitch who who used to kick people in the face. But you know what? There's lessons to be learned, and as Miyamoto Musashi himself would say, once you see the way in one thing, you see the way in all things. And this book's confusing as hell. But good news, bitches, we got a spirit guide named Kenji Tokitsu, because this book is hard. Um, I don't know if anybody has read the book Great Expectations. I had to read it for school. It's this hundred-year-old book. It's fucking barely intelligible. I mean, there's like 200 pages about some lady's dusty room. And I don't even think there's one murder. Like, what the fuck type of book is that? But um, that was hard to understand. And that was a hundred years old and written in English. So this book is 500 years old and written in a different language. So it's hard. But goddammit, our savior amongst us, Kenji Tokitsu, he retranslated this book for us and annotated it with comments. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to defer to him right now. He says, I undertook this project, even though several translations of the book of Five Rings already exist. Through careful reading of the Japanese text, I discovered that these translations contain many errors or misunderstandings. So, one thing about Asian cultures, they're, they're pretty unfailingly polite. So, in polite Japanese terms, 
basically what Kanji's saying is, wow, I mean, I know you guys spent a lot of your life reading and translating this book, but like a random cat could have done a better job. And that, that bitch can't even read. You guys suck. So he just did it himself. He retranslated it. And part of it is that the Japanese language has changed. But also, Kenji says that you need to know martial arts to understand this book. Because Kenji has a Venn diagram of skills that has never existed before, I would say. So this guy has, has practiced karate for 40 years. He has a PhD in sociology and Japanese studies. Any one of those on their own is legit, but you combine them, holy fuck, I think this is the right guy to teach us this shit. But bef before going on, you know, partly to reminisce about how awesome martial arts were, but also to set you heifer straight, uh, I need to talk about karate. Because everybody thinks that it's either totally useless, like those grandmas doing tai chi in, in, in this fucking park in New York, whatever the hell that thing's called, or... On the other side, that karate is perfect and, it, and there's nothing that can be improved upon it. But I actually spent six months training at a full contact karate school. I was doing this internship and it was kind of shitty and this was like the this and, and working out at the Egan Community Center with a, which a, bunch, of, with a bunch of old people. Um, that was the highlights of my life. Um, and, you know, at, at that time I had... I trained MMA for, I don't know, two or three years. I was a national level Taekwondo competitor. I was a good wrestler. And I expected to just destroy everybody. And, you know, I did well. And I won a fair amount. Like, I go to class and I, I, I do really well again in sparring. But I was surprised and impressed by the quality of the people that went to this school. You know, I, I truly did not expect to find in Egan, Minnesota, these, you know, 40 year old software developers who were basically samurai with this unbreakable spirit. I mean, training karate every day, it was, it was pretty crazy. And, you know, the school is a little bit traditional. So I think a lot of what people get turned off by with karate is, you know, you got to wear the damn bathrobe. And a lot of times people go like, yo, and, you know, if you've never done that before, you're like, well, what the hell is this shit? This is fucking weird. We, we want to do an anima next? I don't understand. But basically, it was kind of traditional. So we'd say yes, sir, no, sir. You know, we'd line up the beginning of, of the class by belt. And I, I you know, I, I think you, we said some sort of mantra, which it was kind of weird. But once you get into it, you know, you're like, I will use my karate skills for power, for murder, for evil. Actually, no, that's not what they said. It was more like, I'm going to do the right thing. Yeah. But once you did that, I mean, it was, it was, I, I had been pushed as hard in that karate school as I was in any wrestling practice in any MMA class I ever did. I mean, our instructor, Mr. Quinn, he's just five foot four, little bald guy with a lisp. And he was a cold blooded savage. He was a CrossFit instructor at the same time. Dude, he put us through these insane workouts. I mean, like burpees supersetted with kicks as hard as you could. And, you know, you're kicking hard as fuck. Like you're kicking like a horse, like as hard as you can. And he's holding the pads for you. And he's just screaming in your face, kick, kick harder, kick, kick, kick. 
And I'm like, Mr. Quinn, I can't kick any harder. I'm having an out-of-body experience, and you are not even working out. Like, you can't sit here and tell me. And he was like, shut up, kick, kick more, more. And it was, it was hardcore. It was fucking crazy. And I think my opinion of karate's effectiveness is that, you know, at the highest level summary, there's some people that really suck. There's some instructors, you know, it's like anything, it's not a regulated market. So, you know, I could, I could go say that I'm a yoga instructor right now, but, you know, it quickly become apparent when I can't even bend my fucking legs that I'm not. So there are some shitty instructors, but uh, weeding those out, Karate's a, a decently effective version of kickboxing that, you know, needs to get a little bit more sports science-y and a little bit less, like, let me meditate on this Rocky. And they need to sharpen up the boxing a little bit. But, I mean, Google Raymond Daniels, and uh, that dude's a karate just savage motherfucker, and, you know, Lyoto Machida. I was actually in the same tournament as Raymond Daniels. I did not. I did not spar him. He probably would have beaten me, but um, I did not spar him. And um, I, so just a few, just indulge me. I, I got a few stories to illustrate what karate is all about. Geary. It's a picture of a 47-year-old fit man, Indian. Never, never lifted before, but has been very, very, very active. So he can do a bunch of push-ups. He can do a bunch of pull-ups. He can do a bunch of sit-ups. His body weight and he's broken his body's fucking broken he's got herniated discs in his back he, he comes into class reeking of tiger balm uh, and i'm not even i'm not even fucking kidding like he would he'd be like oh yes tiger balm man and and it would take him 15 minutes for his legs to start working which is crazy and but this dude was unbreakable like i think you get to a point where somebody's tough enough that you know you can't get any tougher you just max out at toughness and so you know we'd be doing those savage workouts where you know mr quinn's over there with his lisp and he's like kick 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 more burpees burpees ah and i am like barely keeping it together right you know i'm trying to think of any excuse to quit and geary We'll get he got to this berserker blood rage thing, and he's like this 47 year old, like distinguished software executive or something. And he would just go, like, Shut And the first time he did it, it startled the shit out of me. I'm like, Are you okay, Geary? And he just looked at me, and then he started doing push, push ups on his fists. And when we get to the deepest parts of the class, where like you know mental fortitude was tested, you know, Geary would just start screaming, but I'm so fucking tired that like. Dude, I, all I feel for Geary is respect. Mr. Quinn. You know, I, I remember remember he, he did this burpee workout for us where we had to do uh, one burpee, one jump as high as you could. Two burpees, two jumps as high as you could. Three burpees, three jumps as high as you could. Go all the way up to 20 and then all the way back down to one. And I got, I, you know, I went all the way up to 20 and I was down at like seven and, and like a drowning man, just, just looking up at the boat, like, just throw me a life preserver. I'm drowning. I looked up at Mr. Quinn, just with panic on my fucking face. And he, and he goes, do you need a phone? And I'm like, no, I, what, what? And he's like, oh, I, I thought you wanted to, I thought you wanted to call someone who cares. You, you'll pass out before you die. And then he just walked away. And I was like, oh, oh. 
That's how this shit goes. I see. I see. Okay. Okay, fuck you, Mr. Quinn. This is death. This is life or death. I got it. Okay, let's go. And and at that moment I was like, karate's hard. There were these there were these two giant Asian brothers who didn't even talk. You know, they were like six six. I'm like I was I'm like five six, five seven. And, you know, so, so karate would, you know, if you watch MMA, there's certain kicks everybody does. And there's certain kicks that other, that people don't do, uh, some from lack of knowledge, some from, you know, cause if you do a certain kick and someone catches it, now you're on the ground. But in karate, at least these fucking giant Asian people did the, these ax kicks. So you whip your leg up and then you whip it back down and you hit with the, with your heel. And so I'm, I'm getting ready to spar this, you know, the six, six kid who has not said a word in my presence in three weeks. And I'm, I'm my hands up and I'm ready to go. And all of a sudden I just feel a foot on my, on my eye. And, and I'm like, Ugh! and then he just goes jab cross and just cracks me in the fucking face. And he steps back and I'm just like, uh, I was, I was very unprepared for what just happened. And, uh, What? My face hurts a lot, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of good people in karate. Um, I think the last story, if you will indulge me, is I I entered into a national karate tournament because it's like well whatever you know I've I've done national taekwondo tournaments a bunch like how different could it be and um, so I, I get there and, and karate at these tournaments was point karate which actually ends up. You know, humans are incentive-driven creatures, so you set up a game, people are going to structure their tactics around the game. So in boxing, when someone's coming at you, you keep them away with your jab. You know, it's it's you're popping them in the face and they don't get too close. But in, in point karate, the fighting actually stops. And so what it ends up, so it still it stops when someone, someone gets hit, because then it's a point. So it, it ends up that these people have like honed this one specific part of defense so ridiculously well that like they'll do things that wouldn't make sense in an MMA fight, but if the fighting stops right afterwards, they'll like leap into the fray and just pop, 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 and just crack you and then like back up because they know it's going to stop. So all that background to say you can win on points, but you can also win on knockout. And so I had... You know, I had done my first match, and I wasn't super used to it, but you know, I was a good kicker, so I just like won on points with kicking people, and I was like, whatever, this is fine. Um, and then I'm watching this this guy, and he, he's clearly better than the other kid, and they're both black belts, whatever. And this dude's, he, you know, he's like kind of jacked, but when when Kai Green, when when Greg Plitt, when when Arnold are your are your high watermarks for jackness. I mean, this dude looks shittier than Michael Phelps, in my opinion. And he's clearly better than this guy. And so, you know, you can win with a knockout, but it's it's almost this like gentleman's agreement or this social norm that, you know, if, if you're beating the shit out of somebody and you can win on points, just win on points. Don't be a dick. Like, this guy probably works as a server at fucking Red Lobster. You know, don't, don't, don't 
take his soul. You just you just beat him on points and you, you move on. And now if you get to someone who's really, really good, anything goes, knock that bitch out. But so this kid, though, is clearly going to win on points and he's beating the fuck out of this other guy. And he's he's doing this like so in, in traditional martial arts. And this is what turns people off a lot of times. They go like, oh, yeah. And so if you break if you break boards, um, you know, I, I would say there's a thought process where if you yell as you're breaking seven bricks of concrete, it makes you hit a little bit harder. So like when I'm out chopping wood, I'm always like, fuck, fuck. And my wife's like, shut up. Just just chop the wood. But so this so this guy was was doing that. He was going like, oh, yeah, but nobody does that shit when you're sparring unless you're a weirdo. And so he's doing it almost like to talk shit. And so he's going against this kid who's not that good. And he's doing this little backhanded pimp slap as like a defense. And then he's jumping in, which wouldn't work in MMA. And he's punching this fucking dude overhand right, cracking him in the fucking head. And this kid's like, you know, trying his best. And he's being a warrior. and he, But he's getting his ass kicked. And then... You know, he doesn't get knocked out, but he ends up getting super fucked up. And like, you know, the dude wins on points. And I'm sitting over there like getting pissed. I'm like, this guy's a bully. This guy is an absolute dick. I hate him. And so a couple matches go by and I hear Troy. And so I stand up and this dude stands up. And I'm like, oh, hey, you know, they said Troy. And he's like, yeah, I know. My name's Troy. And I'm like... Are you kidding me? You're you've you have beaten the shit out of this nice martial artist kid that you could have won on points and you stole my name. Death is upon you. And so we start sparring, but you know, I'd never really done point karate. So like he's got all these techniques that are effective to to score points but ineffective in MMA. And so, you know, he, he starts out and he just like back back fists me in the head which is like an ineffect like think of a backhand you know like big out of my way bitch you backhand someone in the face he did that he earned a he like you know backhanded me kind of in the in the cheek and he, he earned a point and he looked at me like oh and he went like oh yeah as he did that and he looked me in the eyes like ha, ha, ha. oh you suck i'm gonna kick your ass and i just was like Thank you for this opportunity, Jesus Christ. And so the next time he comes in, he starts, he goes like, yeah, and he starts, he tries to do his little backhanded pimp slap followed by an overhand right, hoping to hurt me. Cause that's what he was just trying to do. He wasn't trying to win on points. He was just trying to hurt me. And I was like, well, I would like to hurt you back. And so I just step in, you know, cause I've been doing boxing. So like, you, you know, whatever were you, I'm used to getting hit. And so I have both hands up, chin down, step in, stay in the pocket. He tries his little back fist thing, which guess what? There's a reason they don't do back fists in boxing. Cause it doesn't work very well. So he tries to back fist. He goes like, oh yeah. And I just jab him right in the fucking nose. It's like hard punch right in the nose. His eyes start to water a little bit. And, and he looks at me like, huh? But you can tell he doesn't quite realize because I was, you know, like I even set up totally differently. Like they all would stand a certain way and I didn't stand that way because like I didn't grow up doing karate. And so, you know, he still is like this noob. He doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. And so, you know, now I think we're tied or he, I don't remember how the points worked. He was ahead on points. Um, 
But I know, because he's trying to rush in and get points, that he is going to try to bum rush me. And so I had been kind of perfecting this kick. So it's a, a basic, basic kick, a side kick. So think of a curb stomp. So you put someone, bite the curb, and you stomp on their head. Well, now, instead of your foot going down towards the ground, imagine if your foot went parallel. So you're, you're kicking out. So you're basically stomping sideways out. And, and traditionally, in Taekwondo at least, um, and I actually do think in MMA, I think people just haven't realized it yet, uh, a front leg side kick, when someone's coming in, you know, it's almost like a jab. You just kick them in the stomach and you keep them away. And then you regroup and you keep going. But I'd kind of thought like, why doesn't anybody do it to the face? And I hadn't gotten a satisfactory answer because it just was like convention. No one did it to the face. So I just started like practicing doing it to the face because I was pretty flexible. And so I'd gotten good enough where I could full power, you know, let's say 75% the power that I would have on a curb stomp, sidekick someone in the face. And so this dude comes in and he starts his like, he starts his like, oh uh, yeah, like talking so much shit and he's running in and I just, I just step back, I turn my foot and dude, I kick out so fucking hard and my heel crunches this dude's nose and just like depresses his fucking nose and he goes like oh and he doesn't know where he is and he's looking around like huh and he's crying he's his eyes are watering he's fucking crying and you know he just looks at me and he ended up scoring a point on that i didn't even get a point because he hit me first oh yeah he tapped me on the head and i kicked his soul to tuesday and then he looks at me and, and, and then he ends up like playing it real conservative and like jumping in and like tapping my belly and then backing out he's like haha i beat you and, and i just looked at him like imposter we know who really would have won in a fight but i say all that mostly to just fucking reminisce but um also karate could be a little bit more effective but with a little bit more coaching on boxing i mean karate can be fucking legit it just tends to attract the the ruthless self-mastery types, and it's a lifetime sport. But regardless of the effectiveness compared to MMA or whatever, Kenji Tokitsu, our hero, has devoted his life to the way. He has done karate for 40 years, and he has studied Musashi for 25 years. And, and I guarantee you can't do karate for 40 years and be a pussy. I fucking guarantee it. I mean, you could definitely do kung fu or tai chi or some of that like magic stuff where like, oh, I'm gonna warm up a piece of paper with my hands. Yeah, pay me $100 a month on a recurring one year contract. But as Mr. Quinn would say, you know, it's, it's instant feedback. So your ideas get tested. Karate, you spar full contact many times. This dude's a fucking badass. So, Think of that Venn diagram of skills. There's there's nobody in the whole world that I would rather have walk with me in hell as we dissect this fucking book. Because part of why this book is challenging was martial arts. Because martial arts were primarily taught without words, you know, by demonstration. So Musashi's trying to give cues to round out our practice, which is, but it's like deeply implied that we are also getting taught in person. So 
anybody translating this book without an understanding of martial arts is, uh, you know, at best verbatim translating words that don't make sense. It's like Ed Cohn. He has this cue that helped me increase my deadlift a bunch. Uh, some people say you need to turn your feet into the ground, like screw your feet into the ground. But that doesn't work for me. Like I tried doing that when I was deadlifting and it was like, ah. But then Ed Cohn, I watched this YouTube video where he just says, open your taint. And dude, it just clicked. Like, hey, I'm not good at screwing my feet in the ground, but if there's one thing I'm good at, it is opening my taint wide and letting it sing. And imagine though, if, you know, if you didn't know how to squat and you had to read it just in sentence form, Ed Cohn's cues. And there were also very different attitudes back then. You know, we say nowadays have a calm mind or stay calm. And it's implied that the mind owns the body. But those implications were not present back then. Which is why we need him to be a fucking PhD sociologist and Japanese study person to truly give us this full picture. Kenji says back then, speech is silver but silence is gold so uh they would have clearly hated this podcast because a worthy warrior spoke little but all his words were baller but in my mind even if we can return from this podcast journey with just one drop of sweat from hercules's balls i'm thinking that might be what kids these days call success so what we're going to do is we're going to do a little bit of a historical background of the time uh, touch on Musashi's background. There's, there's a lot of Japanese scholars who don't follow the 80-20 principle here. So we're going to touch on the relevant parts of Musashi's background, dig into the Book of Five Rings, and then finish off with his death note, the way to be followed alone. And I never used to like history, and I still don't love history, but I, I used to think that history was just like a recitation of facts. But in, in reality, it is learning the lessons from the past so you don't have to learn from experience. And goddammit, I'm ready to learn. Teach me, Kenji. So historical background of the time. So Musashi was born in 1584, but um, at the time he lived, the sword was moving from like a, a totally utilitarian military weapon and merging with the practical notion of the way. Because from 1100 to 1600 in Japan, 500 years, so longer than the United States has been in existence, there were powerful families of warriors who would just like unite a little village here, start conquering, and then this other family was like, fuck you, bitch, and then they would start conquering, and then, you know, they, they would just have whole generations just killed off, and there was just abject war for 500 years. So the techniques were, were mostly geared towards armor, because people were fighting in armor. And, you know, if you grow up and you're 13 and, you know, you get thrown into a battle and then all of a sudden you're like, I guess this is my life now. You don't have time to, like, deeply think about the way. You're just like, how do I survive? Okay, so I grab it like this and I hack as hard as I can. Okay, I'll do that. But starting about 1600... Uh, There's this one bitch who conquered everybody who's like, okay, I know I killed uh, like fucking all of you, but uh, killing's not really allowed anymore. So we're going to have peace. And everyone's like, well, okay, I guess we'll try. And so 
you know, there was this, this movement from this uh, warring utilitarian usage of the sword to now like this uh, almost turning into what became the practice of martial arts and the the concept of bushido and, and budo which is i don't really know that much about it but it's like it's it's the uh thought process that a warrior would have in his mind um because he said you know warriors heighten their art but also never used it in real battles unless it was a duel nevertheless the idea that combat to the death could become an actuality at any moment remained the basic reference point for the warrior's state of mind. So, you know, even though they're not in war, these bitches are staying hard. And Musashi, for moving into a little bit of background on him, so he's born in 1584, so he, he gets a taste of, of, the, of the warring, the battles that, that fucking were still going on. But then when he was 20, they, they entered this they entered this time of more peace. Um, but, I mean, it's like trained fighting dogs trying to go to doggy daycare. I mean, people still didn't take shit back then, and it was totally an honor culture. I mean, ruthless discipline, warrior ethos. Uh, there's this book that I need to, like, find a different translation. I, what I really need is I need a Kenji Tokitsu for this book called The Hagakure. It's, it's, the, it's written in, like... 1700 so you know a couple hundred years further uh than than what this is taking place but it's basically the philosophy of how a samurai should think i mean it's crazy ideas like like a man could live a perfectly honorable life his entire fucking life but then if he dies like a coward he's brought dishonor onto his whole family and then everybody would fucking hate his family so you know and like if you dishonored your lord you would, you would commit suicide, seppuku. And so, little side story. I I was in in our CRM system, and I was setting up uh, workflows, which are like program. Like think of out of office email. Like oh, I'm out of office. Go respond to this person. That's basically like a super simple workflow. And so I set up a workflow, and I accidentally sent 400 emails to the five most important people in our company. And, and I'm like, oh, God damn it. So I just owned it. And I'm like, I'm an idiot. I'm so fucking sorry. And with one of them, I'm like, hey, I will commit seppuku if you need me to. And he's like, had to Google that. Uh, no, man, you don't have to. Accidents happen. I'm like, whatever. Just won't let you know I was committed. But there's basically four phases to Masashi's life. Um, the early years, birth to 15. Then his just, his just descent into wandering savagery where he had 60 duels six battles and that's from you know 13 or 15 to 31 then 31 to 51 he, he kind of calms down and and reflects upon it and then 51 to 61 he retires and starts collecting his thoughts to ultimately die at like 63 years old two years after writing this book and one week after writing The Way to Be Followed Alone that we will cover. So his early years are a little bit unclear. Um, you know, one of the things that he did really well is that he would take the useful parts of any style and discard the rest. So there's this, all these Japanese scholars are like all pissed at each other, uh, you know, saying like, he didn't get any martial arts training. He learned this all himself, but 
mean, it's it's kind of like you gotta learn, you gotta learn the standard way to do something before you can be creative. So Kenji does a bunch of deep thinking. We're just gonna trust him, and he says uh, that Musashi did have some good martial arts training, probably from his father, but probably not that much training because he was a difficult and violent child, apparently engaging in games of war with the children of the village so bad that he was sent to go live with monks now imagine being a monk no you're just like trying to make beer you know, you've given up sex you're celibate you're horny you're just fucking like Ugh, i'm a monk you're just meditating all the time you got bruises on your ass and then some some mom comes and like drops their kid off they're like hey here you go He's like, oh, I think you mean the daycare. Like, it's just down the street. He's like, no, no, no. You guys take him. Bitch, we're not a daycare. We're not going to take your fucking kid. And you're like, how do you know that we're even good? Like, we're fucking crazy ass monks. Like, we're warrior monks. What you, what do you, why do you think that we're good? She's like, well, you're monks. He's like, well, what, what if I, how, how do you know that I, I just won't kill your kid? You're willing to bet his life? And, and she's like, yeah, dude, he's a dick. Yeah, I'm going to bet his life. And then she just leaves. So you're this, you're this fucking monk, and now all of a sudden you got this kid, and you know, I, you're just, you're, you're telling me I have to do the worst parts about fucking. You know, I got to take care of the kid, but I don't even get to fuck. This is, this is unfair. But this monk had a good attitude. These monks had good attitudes, and uh, I imagine they kind of whipped Musashi a little bit in shape, like, hey, orphan, um, I'm not gonna do any, like, I'm gonna give you food, I'm gonna give you a place to sleep. But uh, I'm not helping you at all. And I bet that has con kind of contributed to Musashi being such a hard bastard. Because uh, he would still go back and visit his birth father and, and get some martial arts training. Uh, but the, the histories say he ultimately got so good, he started criticizing his dad who stopped teaching him. Uh, you know, that that's one interpretation. I mean, another is that Musashi was an insufferable asshole when he was a kid. Uh, further proof, his first duel when he was 13 years old, uh, some guy, some swordsman came back and put a sign out trying to stake a name for himself, hoping to get an uh, employment by a lord. He's like, I will duel any of you people in this village. And so Musashi, being a dick, he's like... Okay, so he goes and he paints, he paints over the sign, he puts his name, and he puts a time. And, I mean, back then, dude, that's like sending someone a picture of your butthole. Like, it was such an honor culture back then. That is, that is like pooping in their coffee. That's, that's like shaving their mom's head. That is, that is not okay. And the monks were like, God damn it, dude. Look, just... Just sit here and pray with us. And Musashi's like, I don't want to pray. I want to kill. And they're like, fuck you, man. You're you're horrible. You know, if, if we weren't ethical, we would just kill you. But we are ethical, so our lives suck. And so the monks went to this guy and were trying to explain to him, like, oh, well, hey, I'm really sorry. He's just a kid. He's just a kid. And, and the guy was like, well, he's insulted my fucking honor. He needs to come to the day of the duel and he needs to apologize. And the monks were like, that sounds reasonable, totally. And so the day that the duel comes, Musashi comes, this dude is like, you need to apologize. And Musashi takes a wooden sword and bludgeons this guy to death. And the monks are like, God damn it, no, no, God damn it, Musashi. 
you're out of control and he just looks at him and he's like it's the way of strategy they're like no it's not you're a fucking dick like this guy was being nice to you and you just you just beat him to death and then his next three years are pretty unclear uh i think he probably gets three more years of martial arts training from his father but then you know he starts being more of an asshole and then he just leaves he leaves the village and he starts exploring the concept of using two swords because back then everybody carried two swords but most people used their long sword and they didn't use their short sword and there's a lot of japanese scholars that are all pissed at each other you know trying to figure out how musashi learned about using two swords uh there's the, the probably the best theory is that there's this giant drum that musashi practiced playing and he's like if i can use two hands on a drum i should use two hands with a sword but nobody really knows but however that idea came he was as impactful as the gracies were in ground fighting or, or maybe even more because he spent the next period of his life traveling there's a practice back in the day called uh forgive me japanese people mushashugyo which was just samurai traveling around the country fighting duels mostly to the death whenever they found someone badass that they wanted to test their metal they had no money no food i mean they had to use their fighting tactics to hunt wild animals and at the same time there are all these schools that had been popping up and um there's a kind of interesting side tangent that Musashi also is really good at throwing the sword, but that was kind of like a secret technique because, you know, anytime you spar somebody, the first time that you they introduce a new technique, it's like magic. You know, there, there's this technique I had back in the day where someone would do a spin sidekick, and as soon as I saw them spin, I would sprint. And so they would spin and kick, and I would sprint past them and then crack them in the head. I'd call it the disappearing move. And that works. The first time, amazing. So I'd go to tournaments and people would be like, what just happened? But I would do that to my friend uh, who I gave brain damage to seven times. Shout out. I can't say her name, but um, I got him the first couple times. And th eventually, though, he would fake. I would run in. And he would just drill me in the bladder with a kick. And I'm like, oh, okay, okay. So the... You know, there are these secret techniques of throwing swords and throwing knives called shuriken. I'm sure maybe you guys have heard it, maybe not. Um, but Musashi got good at that too. Um, and then we're going to do a quick highlight of some of the best duels that he had. And then we're going we're gonna to jump into this goddamn Book of Five Rings. Um, so he fought in six duels. We're not obviously going to cover them. But there was this story um, where he, he, there's a story of a famous family called the Yoshioka family. And on the and Musashi challenged the head of their family to a duel, but on the day of the duel, he had a cold. He was really sick, and he was like, "Bro, guys, hey, I got COVID. I can't, I can't do this shit." But they're like, "No, our honor demands that you show up." And you know they're getting pumped because they're like, "Ah, oh, we're gonna kill the sick guy." Yes. So he shows up on a litter. Their guard is down, and he bludgeons him to death with the sword, uh, with a wooden sword, no less. Uh, there's another story of uh, Musashi had systematically killed 10 people in this family because you know they're these big martial arts families because they didn't have birth control back then so everybody's popping out you know kids there's 10 kids and this you know you this person has 10 kids this person has 10 kids this person has five kids this person has 700 kids um but so he kind of just like challenged everybody through this family but their honor wouldn't let them be like hey bro we're done and so 
he killed 10 of them. And everybody in that, in that family and the related school was extremely pissed. So 20 people challenged him. And they were planning on just like being real unethical and you know, like yeah, there's honor and stuff, but like ultimately at the highest level, success was the highest honor. So they were just gonna shoot him with a bow. But this time he gets there super fucking early. You know, it's like deer hunting. He gets out, out there, he's in the reeds, he's still. They show up, he is within their lines. And he sees that the head of the family, because he killed everybody else, the head of the family was a 12-year-old boy. And, you know, because Musashi actually fits the criteria of modern day of a serial killer and a child murderer now, uh, he runs up and he kills the 12-year-old boy and then uh, kills like 15 more people and escapes because they're so scared. Um, he also would travel around and, you know, there's this temptation in anything that to stay in your comfort zone when you're really good at something just to just to do more of that. And so he traveled around and he found this sickle master who was really good at fighting with sickles. And the story of him dueling is like Musashi's, so this guy's waving this sickle and chain above his head and Musashi starts almost like improvising, spinning his short sword above his head. Like maybe he'd practice that, maybe not. But I mean, this guy's out there working on his techniques in the field of battle. Um, two more, Gonosuke, there's this guy who who tracked down Musashi. And this guy was so good that he had a sash, you know, like a little name tag on his whatever, that said, uh, Gonosuke, the greatest swordsman in all of Japan. And so he tracked down Musashi. And Musashi's like, just, he's making a bow, like a bow and arrow in the garden. And this dude's like, I must fight you. And Musashi's like, bro, I'm like in the garden. I'm making a bow, like, no, and Gonosuke's like, I challenge you, you're a pussy. And he's like, well, now that you said that, okay. And Musashi grabs the, the half-carved bow, fights this dude who has a sword, kills him. Last one, um, if you guys have read the novel, because there's a really good novel about Musashi too called Musashi. And um, when he was 30, to close out his period as a wandering beast, he beat Sasaki Kojiro. And this was detailed probably with some literary spin in it. Um, but Musashi slept until 10 a.m. So the duel was supposed to be like 8. Slept until 10. Um, he, rode his, he rode his own boat to the island. And this guy, Sasaki's like, You motherfucker, you're so late. Get ready. You're scared. You're a pussy. You're scared. You're fucking scared. And Musashi looks at him and is like, Sasaki, you have already lost. And Sasaki's like, what are you fucking talking about, you crazy bitch? No, I haven't. And Musashi's like, if you thought you were going to win, you wouldn't throw your scabbard, so like the holster of the sword, in the water. And the Sasaki's like, ah! And his mind explodes. And Musashi beats him to death with an oar. And then after that, and, and you know, and, and I say all this, and those are kind of like making it sound like he's a trickster, and, and he is, but... He had 50 other totally legit duels. I think one of his biggest ideas, though, is just do whatever technique that works. But uh, I, So, Masashi just wanted to find the best way. And, and actually, uh, once you see the way in one thing, you see the way in all things. My wife and I just watched this movie, Extraction. And, um, you know, they basically, Chris Hemsworth, Thor, 
whatever the dude's name is, reasonably jacked. He was like pretty well trained for this. His shooting was really good and, and his fighting was like pretty good, but there was this one time he gave up mount and I was like, ah, you're actually not that good. But um, he is this badass soldier, private security contractor. He's got to go extract this kid who got kidnapped. And uh, he ends up working with this like guy who's trying to kill him. He hits him with a truck, but then like they make up and they're friends again. And so this guy who got hit by the truck was trying to extract this little kid, like 13 year old, 14 year old kid. And so he half-heartedly wraps a female's headscarf around his head, but like still shows his badass jaw and being a man is cut up face. And so he tries to cross the bridge and it like, they're like, bitch, why are you so, why is your face so cut up? Who's this kid? Oh my God, it's a fucking kid. And then they kill him. But uh, my wife was like, they should just dress up like women. And I'm like, that's exactly right. That's what Musashi would say to do. You know, don't don't be so attached to your, you know, your your masculine notions that you won't you won't wear a hijab or a burqa or whatever. Just you guys wear burqas and, and you fucking walk into the salon and, and you drive out of there. Um, and that's more what Musashi was. It wasn't like he was always doing tricks, but he was very open to tricks if that shit presented itself. So after he got all those duels out of his system, from 31 to 51, he just went deep into introspection. He got uh, became a master of calligraphy, and this book has some really good pictures of his art. He became a master of sculpting and, and pottery, and, and Google this. I mean, there's pictures of this. It's, it's amazing. Um, and then he retired to a cave and wrote The Book of Five Rings as his treatise on the way of strategy. Let's dig in! So the Book of Five Rings is actually separated into five scrolls. The Scroll of Earth, the Scroll of Wind, the Scroll of Water, the Scroll of Fire, the Scroll of Captain Planet! Just kidding. The Scroll of Heaven, or also translated to Emptiness. The first scroll is the Scroll of Earth. And so I'm going to read through parts of it, and then I got some... I got some interpretation from the great Kenji Tokitsu. The Scroll of Earth. The School of the Two Heavens United, aka the School of Two Swords, is the name that I give to the way of strategy. In this text, I'm going to explain for the first time what I've been studying in depth for many years. I have trained in the way of strategy since my youth, and at the age of 13, I fought a duel for the first time. We heard about that shit, Musashi. Yeah, you, you quote-unquote fought a duel. You bludgeoned a nice man to death, but whatever. At the age of 16, I defeated a powerful adept named Akiyama, who came from some town. At the age of 21, I went up to Kyoto and fought duels with several adepts of the sword from famous schools, but never lost. Then... I traveled in several fiefs and regions in order to meet the adepts of different schools. I fought more than 60 times, but not once was I beaten. All that happened between my 13th and my 29th or 30th year. At the age of 30, I reflected and saw that although I had won, I had done so without having reached the ultimate level of strategy. I continued to train and to seek from morning till night to attain to a deeper principle. When I reached the age of 50, 
I naturally found myself on the way of strategy. And I'm skipping through some of this shit, but um, let's go. Since that day, I have lived without having a need to search further for the way. When I apply the principle of strategy to the ways of different arts and crafts, I no longer have need for a teacher in any domain. So what he's saying is that this art, this pursuit, this way of swordman, swordsmanship, but more broadly what he calls strategy, which is you know being on the path. Once you know it, you can do anything, you know, Daniel Coyle style, and you don't need a teacher because you can just apply the way of the sword. And I'm saying some of this stuff, I'm not sure I fully understand or believe it, but I, I'm just quoting from Musashi because he's, he's way more qualified than I. Strategy is the practice that is necessary in warrior families. A person who directs warfare must learn it, and soldiers must also be familiar with it. Nowadays, those who know the way of strategy well are rare. First of all, warriors must familiarize themselves with what is known as the two ways, literature and the martial arts. That is their way. Even if you are clumsy, you must persevere in strategy because of your position. Now, I don't understand exactly what that means, but I feel like that's pretty fucking legit. That's what this whole podcast is about. Literature. And I don't like that word, but we'll go with it. Literature and the martial arts. And then he says, That which a warrior must always have in his mind is the way of death. Don't fucking know. I mean, I read the book The Hagakure, which we're going to read sometime. But I think, I mean, I think he's basically saying that, you know, you have to just live like every day is your last and be willing to die at a moment's notice to live honorably because your life is judged by how you die maybe because those bitches was crazy back then in the way of strategy that warriors practice the aim of action must be to surpass all others in all domains okay not just some people and some the way of strategies, you must be the best in everything. Holy shit, Musashi. A warrior has to win in combat against one or several opponents, bring fame to his lord's name and his own, and establish his position owing to the virtue of strategy. Some people perhaps think that even if they learn the way of strategy, it will not be useful in real practice. On this point, it is sufficient to train in it for it to be useful at all times and to teach it for it to be useful in all things. This is how the true way of strategy must be. And I, you know, I kind of read that as like, that's why we're fucking reading this book 500 years later. Um, you know, Google his, Google his calligraphy. Uh, it's crazy. Um, it's super good. I showed my wife who's an artist and she's like, that's good. That's not the style I like, but that's good for the time for sure. And I think we just have to believe him that he used the way of strategy to do calligraphy. And then, uh, as Jaka would say, back to the book. Among the ten talents and the seven arts that have long been known, not to me, but to some people, strategy is considered to be a pragmatic domain. Since it is a pragmatic domain, it is not appropriate to limit it to just the technique of the sword. 
On the basis of the principles of the sword alone, you will not be able to understand the sword well, and you'll be far from being in accord with the principles of strategy. And I think that that means, you know, learning any skill is it's partly the mechanical aspect of doing the skill, but it's partly the mindset. It's partly the approach. It's partly the positive self-talk, the deep practice of the skill. You know, back in the day, I was very good at kicking. And maybe this was like I was 14. I don't know. And I used to win these tournaments all the time. And then John Kick, this this kid, he uh, started lifting before me. He got bigger than me. And I was technically better than him. But he started beating me in the, all, all these tournaments because his hands were better. He was better at punching because I just did what I knew. I just was a good kicker. So I just kicked. And so after getting like my ass kicked in three different tournaments, I was like, I'm not going to throw a kick for a year. I'm going to get so good at hands. And that lesson of don't, don't practice the things that you're good at, practice the things that you suck at to round out your skill set. You know, that applies to swimming. When I learned how to swim with my, my good fucking friend, we were both more comfortable breathing on the right side, but we'd read the talent code and it was just like, you know what? I believe I can learn to breathe on the left side. So the first couple days I was just drowning, but then just like, hey, I'm not gonna throw another kick for a year. Like I'm gonna breathe every time on the left side and then eventually just as good. So I, I think that's what he means. It's like, you can't just train the skill of the sword. You must realize that there's, there's lessons and nuggets inside of that shit. In general, four ways exist for traversing human life. Those of the warrior, the peasant, the artisan, and the merchant. He's about to draw a long goddamn analogy about carpentry, but just, I'll humor you, Musashi, because you're such a fucking man. I'm going to speak of strategy by comparing it to the way of the carpenter. This comparison has to do with how a house is constructed by carpenters. A general, like a master carpenter, should know the overall rules of the country and adjust the rules of his own province to fit with them. Just as the way of the master carpenter consists in regulating the measurements of the house he is going to construct. The master carpenter learns the structural patterns for building a tower or a temple and knows the construction plans for palaces and fortresses. He builds houses by making use of people. In this way, the chief carpenter and the chief warrior resemble each other. In constructing a house, one must first choose wood that is suitable. For the front pillars, wood is chosen that is straight without knots and of good appearance. For the rear pillars, one chooses wood that is straight and sturdy, even if it has a few knots. It is appropriate to use wood that is less strong and more handsome in some cases. The house will last for a long time even if knotted and twisted wood is used on the condition that the strength needed for the different parts of the house is accurately assessed and the qualities of the wood used are carefully examined. Being fast and efficient, being vigilant with regard to their surroundings, knowing substance and its function, knowing the high, medium, and low ambient energy, knowing how to energize the situation, knowing the limits of things. Above all, a master carpenter must possess all those. It is the same for the principle of strategy. And, you know, that's kind of confusing as shit sometimes, I guess. But I, I, think, what, I think what it's saying is that just like a carpenter... There's a correct tool for each situation. 
And sometimes that correct tool is dressing up as a woman to extract those kids in that movie extraction. Other times it's going there five hours early and catching your opponent off guard. Other times it's fucking fighting fair and winning. And sometimes it's beating someone to death with a, with a goddamn oar. Now he goes into a little bit of an introduction about uh, what's coming in this book. If you study the way of strategy, it is necessary to examine attentively what I write here down to the last detail. All right, Musashi. So now he, now he goes in about his five scrolls. So this is this is how the five book book of five rings. It's really five scrolls. Um, he says in the scroll of Earth. I present an overall vision of the way of strategy and the point of view of my school. It is difficult to arrive at the true way relying on the way of the sword alone. We've talked about this. It is appropriate to understand details on the basis of a broad vision and to attain depth by beginning on the surface. And that's where he starts to get all like Zen on me and it's like appropriate to understand the details. So, okay, so details on the broad vision. So like the commander's intent, that makes sense but then attain the depth by beginning on the surface. Bitch, I don't know, Kenji, help me out! But it feels like there's something important written in there. Uh, the second scroll is the scroll of water. You should learn what is essential regarding the state of mind from the nature of water. Water follows the form of a square or round vessel. It is a drop and also an ocean. The color of its depths is pure green, and taking this purity as my inspiration, I present you my school in the scroll of water. If you succeed in clearly discerning the general principle of the art of the sword, and in this manner easily defeat one person, you can defeat any opponent. The mind is the same whether it is a matter of defeating one person, a thousand, or ten thousand. Holy shit. Okay, and if strategy applies to everything, Jesus Christ, okay Musashi, show me the way. It is difficult to explain in detail, but the principle of strategy is to know 10,000 things from a single thing. It is in this way that I write about the content in my school, the, in the scroll of water. So that's kind of crazy, but I, I feel like that's once you've learned something deeply, you know, that way, that, that thing you've learned applies to other things. Uh, the third scroll is that of fire. In this scroll I write about war, for fire symbolizes a blazing mind whether large or strong, and it's fucking awesome, but I, I added that. That which I write about in the Scroll of Fire happens in a short time. Therefore, it is necessary to train in it and habituate oneself to it every day so that an immutable mind can become the ordinary thing. This is an essential point of strategy. It is in relation to this mind that I write about war and individual combat in the Scroll of Fire. And I think what that is saying is as OG Badger, this uh, ex-con, super tattooed, not very educated, but kind of funny. He says, even in prison, when you're taking a shit, you have one foot out of your pant leg because you, you stay ready so you don't have to get ready. You train the way of fire so that that's your natural state. The fourth scroll is the scroll of wind. What I write in this scroll is not about my own school, but deals with the strategies of other present-day schools. So, yeah, he basically, that, that scroll, we're going to touch on it, but he basically just like goes in against other schools. The fifth is the scroll of heaven or emptiness. After having realized the principle of the way, 
it becomes possible to move away from it, you will find yourself naturally free in the way of strategy, and you will naturally reach a high level of ability. You will naturally find the cadence that is appropriate to the moment, and the stroke will appear all by itself and strike home by itself. All of that is in the way of emptiness. I write in the scroll of heaven of the manner of entering naturally in the true way. And I, I think what, what that means to me is, you know, any skill that you're learning, you start out, you're stupid, you suck, then you can do it, but you have to consciously think through doing it. And then eventually you get this unconscious competence and the, the chunking of the patterns of whatever skill you're doing, you end up, you know, you're making minute adjustments, but, you know, doing doing 37 movements with your body, but all of those movements are linked together into a pattern. And so I think when he says emptiness, and it's the idea of not thinking because you're so good, you've practiced so much that you are now unconsciously competent. Now, he's talking about why he named his school the School of Two Swords. I mean, it seems pretty fucking obvious to me, Musashi. How many swords you got too? Okay, good point. But, um... In my school, a beginner learns the way by taking the large sword and the small sword in his hands at the same time. This is essential. If you are going to die in battle, it is desirable to utilize all the weapons you are carrying. It is deplorable to die with weapons left in their scabbards without having been capable of using them. But if you have a sword in each hand, it is difficult to handle each of the swords as you wish. And then he acknowledges... At the beginning, everyone has difficulty handling the large sword with just one hand because of its weight. It is the same thing in any form of new beginning. Anything you're learning, he's talking about deep practice. He's talking about where like, you know, you're just stumbling through the dark, just smelling cinnamon rolls. And then finally, you're like, you find grandmother's house and then there's cinnamon rolls. Now you know the way and now you're a master. For a beginner, it is hard to draw a bow. And handling the naginata, Google it, is also hard. Whatever the weapon, the important thing is to get used to it. In this way, you may succeed in drawing a strong bow. And by exercising every day, you will achieve the ability to wield the sword easily by acquiring the strength that is fitting for the way. In my school, one must win with a long weapon as well as a short one. That's why I do not fix the length of the sword. To be ready to win with all the weapons, that is the essence of my school. It is not necessary to write more about this now. It is necessary to know 10,000 things by knowing one well. If you are practicing the way of strategy, nothing must escape your eyes. Reflect well on this. God damn, Musashi. I mean, can't you just write the 80-20 here? I don't fucking know. Uh, practice a lot. I think that's the summary. And then he goes and he says, It is through the virtue of the sword that one rules a country and one behaves in a fitting manner oneself. The sword is at the origin of strategy. By mastering the virtue of the sword, one person can defeat ten. If one can defeat, defeat ten, a hundred can defeat a thousand, and a thousand will defeat ten thousand. It is in this sense that in my school the principles are the same for one as for ten thousand, and that is what I mean by strategy includes the practice of all warriors. Nonetheless, anyone who understands the way in great depth will find the same principle in all things. It is important that each person perseveres in his own way. So, I don't fucking know. I mean, 
that means stuff to me. It means that once you see the way in one thing, you see the way in all things. But I, I think he probably had a, I think he probably had some some deeper thoughts in this shit. Now this idea, this idea is crazy to me. Okay, and I think it's it makes a bunch of sense. So he he goes on. He's talking about a couple of different weapons, and um, he says you should not have a predilection for certain weapons. Putting too much emphasis on one weapon results in not having enough of the others. Weapons should be adapted to your personal qualities and be ones you can handle. It is useless to imitate others. For a general as a soldier, it is, it is negative to have marked preferences. You should examine this point well. And I think, I think that's, that's like the crazy thing that, that martial arts does is this beginner's mind idea where, you know, Musashi's traveling around and, you know, the people that he did not kill in duels if they did a if they did an okay job so like five of the 60 people they became musashi's student because they were humble enough to like want to study under him and you know there's this one guy that was really good with a with a like a a bow staff and musashi's like teach me the way man because you know if you have preference if, if you say i'm a sword fighter you're gonna miss out on sometimes actually the tool as a carpenter that you need is a bow now he talks about cadence in strategy and he says cadence is inherent in all things especially as far as strategy is concerned it is not possible to master cadence without thoroughly training and i think of cadence as like timing and the flow of things um, in this world we can see that different cadences exist the cadence of the way of dance of musicians of wind instruments Going through the various ways of the martial arts, there are different cadences depending on whether you are shooting a bow, firing a gun, or riding a horse. You must not go against the cadence in any of the arts, nor in any handcraft. Cadence also exists for that which, for that which does not have suitable form. So, I'm kind of tracking. The suitable form thing's a little fucking confusing for me, but, you know, cadence meaning that there's a you know if you're i don't know if you're if you're playing football and you know there's a cadence everybody sits down everybody takes 10 seconds everybody breathes well you can break that cadence by doing a no huddle offense um shout out to echo charles that's the only reason i know that um he even says in the way of business there are cadences for making a fortune and cadences for losing it in strategy different cadences exist is necessary to know the concordant cadences and then learn the discordant ones meaning you got to know what the best practice is before you decide if you're going to creatively break it um, at the time of strategic combat you must know the cadences of each enemy and utilize cadences that they will not think of you will win by unleashing the cadences of emptiness that are born from those of wisdom in each scroll i will write about cadence examine these writings and train well and I, I think that this, in sales, there's a cadence. And a rule is, when do you close somebody? Whenever they're ready to be closed. And so, um, you know, if someone's, if you feel like someone's ready to buy, like you're like, okay, so this is what it is, this is the price. I'm like, that's great. Oh my God, that's exactly what we want. You don't go, well, sit down. I got 25 more minutes of presentation. You go, okay, cool. Pull up your email. Click that accept and sign button. I went to Colorado a couple months ago. And, and coronavirus is raging among the land right now. And 
So I, I, they said you needed to have a mask. So I bought a, I bought like a, a 1400s plague mask, one of those plague doctor bird face masks, just cause I'm, you know, and I, I didn't even check a bag. So like I had to choose between socks and the plague mask. So I chose the plague mask, but I get there and I wear it on my parents and they're like, what you're fucking weird, dude. You're like, are you sure? Are you sure you're our son? Get the fuck away from me. But I brought it out when my parents distinguished friends we're over we call them uncle but but they're just my parents friends and uh my uncle was very inebriated because it's altitude and you can accidentally drink too much wine and you know we're conversations flowing and he's like masks oh i gotta go to this party masks and so i i'm like i'll be right back i go down and i i come up and i'm wearing the plague mask and he's like oh my god i need to buy one of those and I was like, okay, okay, the cadence of sales says you close somebody whenever they're ready to be closed. And so I'm like, well, good news. For the low price of $20, I will sell this to you right now. And I mean, you got to think like that's a depreciating asset. I mean, think about how much a car depreciates. What about like a like a used plague mask? I mean, I bought it for 17 It probably is worth 3 I probably couldn't have even sold it. And uh, he said, done. And then he... Paid me 20 bucks, I gave him the plague mask, and we both felt like we got the best deal in the history of the world. Which, side note, is why capitalism is great, because value was created right there. I won and he won. That's how capitalism works. What? But then, we're going to close out the scroll of earth, and he says, If you practice diligently from morning till night, the way of strategy I teach, your mind will spontaneously broaden. I am transmitting to the world my strategy in its collective and individual dimensions. Those who would like to learn my strategy should apply the following rules in order to practice the way. Think of that which is not evil. I don't know what your fucking definition of evil is, Musashi, but you're a serial killer. You're, you know, you beat the shit out of some guy that was trying to help you and you killed a kid. But uh, okay, I'll, I'll, whatever. Think about that which is not evil train in the way okay i'm on board with that shit take an interest in all the arts okay all seems a little bit of a stretch but okay know the way of all professions dude musashi do you understand how complex our economy is right now but all right i can understand a little bit of that know how to appreciate the advantages and disadvantages of each thing learn to judge the quality of each thing Perceive and understand that which is not visible from the outside. Thanks. Real helpful. Be attentive even to minimal acts. Okay, I got that. That's, you know, unmitigated daily discipline in all things. Do not perform useless acts. Check 80-20 principle. And then he closes this scroll saying, Since you have free mastery of your body, as a result of your training, you will win through your body since your mind is accustomed to this way. You also win through your mind. Once you reach this stage, how can you be defeated? Bitch, I don't know, but it sounds good to me. Thus, it is necessary to know how not to lose to anyone in any of the ways and to firmly establish your position and your honor. That is the way of strategy. So I, I think in my summary, I mean, it's a little opaque. It's a little confusing, but I, I got to think that there's some 
There's some damn nuggets inside of that. So m moving on, we got four more scrolls. And next, we move into the scroll of water. How our minds are supposed to be when studying the way of strategy. The great Musashi says, the mind of strategy of my school of two swords takes water as its fundamental model. Therefore, I title this text, the scroll of water, because the idea here is to practice a method of pragmatic effectiveness. So listen to that shit, and then jumping right in, goddamn Musashi says, Even where words are inadequate, you should understand this principle intuitively. It is necessary for you to pause and reflect on each of the words and ideograms I have written in this text. If you read superficially, you run a great risk of deviating from the way. So I think, I think what he's saying, screaming back from 500 years ago is, by the goddamn book, Regarding the principle of strategy, even though I may describe the situation as though talking about individual combat, it is essential to understand this with broad vision as the principle of a battle among tens of thousands of people. You are in danger of falling into a bad way. We don't want that, goddammit, if you wander and choose the wrong path. And he, he uh, drops his dick on the table right here. He says, read this text thinking that it is written for you. Do not think that you are just reading or learning written things. Instead of imitating what I write, make this text yours, like a principle that you have brought forth from your own thought. It is necessary to ponder well by putting yourself into the situation. And this is interesting to me because you know, this is almost like saying mental visualization is extremely important. Because I, I would say, like, back in the day when I was learning martial arts techniques or, you know, even shooting techniques now, you know, if you, if you just sit and you just think really, really hard about every single component of the technique, like, over and over and over and over and over, you'll actually, like, be better in real life moving your body state of mind in strategy. In the way of strategy, one's state of mind need not be distinct from the ordinary one. In daily life, as well as in strategy, it is necessary to have an ample and broad mind and to carefully keep it very straight, not too tight, not too loose, in order to not have your mind too much off to one side. It is necessary to place it in the center and move it calmly so that it does not cease to move, even in the moments of change. All that has to be examined well. Now that's kind of crazy to me, but if I'm drawing an analogy to something we covered, I'm thinking that means like Cooper's color codes. So go listen to episode Marine Corps Hunter Program. But Cooper talks about, you know, uh, code white is like you're totally fucking relaxed. You're, you're, you know, you're taking a bath and, and there's a raccoon in the bath. Code yellow is like your your awareness is broad and you know the danger could be around. Code orange is like, hey, that kind of looks fucked up. What is that? And you're tuning in. And then code red is like, kill. And so, you know, I don't, don't think that maps over perfectly, but um, I, f I feel like there's some principles that are similar. And he says, even at a calm time, the mind is not calm. 
Even at a moment of great speed, the mind is not at all fast. The mind must not be carried along by the body, nor the body by the mind. The mind must be wary when the body remains unguarded. The mind must be not be insufficient or even a little bit too much. Now, fuck Musashi. Just, just going in. Yeah, do that. Do it. Do what he said. Now, he, he talks a lot uh, in the next few sections about posture, about, um, you know, holding the sword, uh, some more specific tactical sword shit that doesn't apply. But uh, the interesting quote about posture, he says, in sum, it is necessary for you to have as your posture for strategy just the ordinary one. And it is essential that the posture for strategy be the ordinary one for you. This must be examined well. Again, OG Badger. Stay ready so you don't have to get ready. Now, he rolls in to, uh, and again, this whole con this whole chapter is about mindset and how your mind should be. But he rolls into the pathway of the sword. And he says, here's what I call knowing the pathway. So the word's actually like Michi, Miki, Mickey, but but it means trajectory, way, pathway. So it's uh, Kenji Tokitsu is trying his best, and he's, he's he's used pathway here, but it could also mean way. So here's what I call knowing the way of the sword. Uh, it is enough to move the sword appropriately and calmly. If you attempt to move the sword fast, like a fan or a small knife, you will have difficulties because you are straying from the nature, also the same word Michi, so from the way of the sword. You cannot slash a man by thrashing about with your sword as though you were chopping something with a knife. And so the way I understand that is it's like in boxing. You know, the way you throw a really fucking hard punch or the way you throw 10 really fucking hard punches is not trying to throw 10 really fucking hard punches. You just practice and you snap the punches out there and then eventually it's just like gunshots like pop 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 so he's saying you know don't try to punch really hard practice so much and then just do the technique and trust the technique now he, he rolls into um the five technical forms that he's created for his school and what forms are, and we had them in Taekwondo, and I, it took me until like two years ago to be mature enough to like forms, but forms are basically memorized movements, and that's where a lot of the critique of traditional martial arts comes from, because people take it out of context, you know, it's, it's like someone, I don't have any appropriate analogies, so I'm just going to be professional. So forms are uh, just taken out of context, so it's basically... Um, you know, you have a series of moves, and so for each belt, maybe there's 20 moves, and then the next belt there's 25 moves, and the next belt there's 25 moves, and then the next there's 30, and by the time you're a black belt, you know, there's like 47 moves that you have to do exactly perfectly, you know, there's certain requirements of doing it correctly, like your stance has to be correct, and this has to be correct, and that has to be correct, and I didn't get why that was important, but... I think that forms are actually important for, for two main reasons. Uh, one is like, yes, you, you miss the, 
the proprioception cues of sparring somebody because there's a lot of distance there's a, that's that you just have to learn it on the job but if you get really good at forms by definition if you do them correctly you are doing the techniques correctly so on one hand it's like a it's like the 80 20 of the techniques packed into something um, and then in the other uh, back in the day multiple times because you know everybody's killing everybody hey i'm the new emperor now like actually crazy thing i learned by researching this book is that they didn't even do dates the way that we do them it was just like a new emperor would be like we're starting at zero strap in and, and so you know the new emperor every 20 years comes it's like martial arts is illegal and so they would they would uh, create forms that they would disguise as dance and then you know if somebody got incredibly good at these forms it's not that hard there's still some training but it's it's not that hard to teach them up and turn them into just like a ruthless badass so musashi lays out some forms that uh he says if you do these you'll be really good then he jumps into he jumps into the guard position and, and i think there was a lot of schools that were really rigid that you, know, you need to have your your swords this specific way and um musashi says you should use all the guard positions but your guard should be not having a guard and that's basically saying just do do whatever the best thing to do in that situation is even if it's dressed up as a woman now i'm just going to read this because it's kind of cool uh it's the the strike of non-thought in a situation where both you and your adversary are just about to launch an attack make your body into a body that is striking make your mind into a mind that is striking then your hand will strike spontaneously out of emptiness with speed and power, without taking note of the starting point of the movement. This is the strike of non-thought. It is of prime importance. You will often encounter this kind of strike. You must study it and train in it well. And th this makes me think a little bit of police officers after they get in shootings. A lot of times they'll, they'll come back and they'll say, like, hey man, all of a sudden, I, like, I don't even remember. I just remember I was just sitting on my car and then I looked over and I saw the barrel of somebody of that guy's gun pointed at me and the the barrel was you know the size of a tunnel and all of a sudden I just drew my pistol and I saw my front sight and my front sight it, you know it was the size of a mountain and then I am just watching myself just pa 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 or maybe they don't even remember firing and so that's because the way you get to that is you practice, you practice, you practice so that your, your unconscious is so fucking good that when bitches be rolling up on you, you, you hit them with a strike of non-thought. There's a bunch of other shit he talks about that's way more applicable if you're a sword fighter. Um, talks about the autumn monkey's body because the monkeys would get really cold. I've researched this. The monkeys would get really cold and they, they'd come up and and they would they would hug each other so he named one of his uh, one of his techniques the autumn monkey's body because you want to get really close to your opponent and, and hug the life out of him with your sword what so i skipped over a fair amount of just the tactical like chop this way do this 
but I will read conduct against many adversaries because I think it applies to everything as well as it's kind of interesting. Uh, what I call conduct against many adversaries applies when you are fighting alone against many adversaries. Draw both your large and small swords and take up a guard position with them held wide apart as though you were tossing them horizontally to both sides of you. Even if your opponents come at you with four sides, you will fight them by driving them back in a single direction. Continually make every effort to push your opponents back so they will be forced into one rank, one behind the other, like fish on a string. And hack them bitches to death. He didn't, he didn't say that part, but... Um, when we were growing up doing Taekwondo, uh, I think my friend made this up, but I'm sure he would say he didn't. He called it Bear and the Tree. So if you're fighting two people, you don't fight two people. You, you run around a lot like a bear that's trying to kill you and you're putting a tree in between you and the bear. So like imagine that, like all you guys are trees. So you're running, you're running, you're running. So you do the same thing. And so Masashi's saying you do the same thing in sword fighting. Now there's some there's some good shit here, so we're gonna we're gonna dive into the principle of combat. In strategy, it is by the principle of combat that you will know victory with the sword. I do not have to write about the details, but you should have. The important thing is to train well and learn how to win. This has to do with sword techniques that express the true way of strategy. The rest must be transmitted orally. Well, thanks, bro. You're dead. The single strike. Gain the capacity to win with certainty by keeping in your mind the single strike. It is impossible to acquire this strike without studying strategy thoroughly. It is by training in this strike that you will achieve a free mastery of strategy. It is the way of victory at will in any combat. You must exercise well. I just want to highlight that because Musashi says you need to lift. He says, it is essential to train well so that your body becomes strategy. And again, I think that that's like 1500s version of saying you got to practice so much that you get unconsciously competent at whatever you're doing. And now he just, he just rolls into a, um, you know, seven foot long penis section. Your sword and your technique will be naturally remarkable since your body will be available from head to toe to move with free mastery. It is in this way that you will be victorious first over one, then over two, and that you will finally be able to understand what is good and what is bad in strategy. Train by following one by one the instructions I have written down in this text and you will progressively obtain the principle of the way by practicing combat with different opponents. Never fail to have this attitude of mind. Go forwards without hurry. Learn the essence of things through frequent experience. Take advantage of every occasion. Fight against all kinds of people and be aware of their mind. Follow a road that is a thousand leagues long, one step at a time. Be without haste and be convinced that all these practices are the duty of Abushi. And, and that's basically like, you know, the, the samurai code of Bushido, uh, the disciples are Bushi. Be victorious today over what you were yesterday. Tomorrow, be victorious over your clumsiness and then also over your skill. Practice in accordance with what I've written without letting your mind deviate from the way. 
Even if you gain victory over the most formidable of adversaries, unless it is in the conformity with this principle, this victory cannot be considered part of the true way. By assimilating this principle, you'll be able to conquer several tens of adversaries. Then through the wisdom of the art of the sword, you will be able to master individual strategy and group strategy. A thousand days of training to develop, 10,000 days of training to polish. You must examine all of this well. And my assessment on that is, you know, a lot of that shit's kind of unclear. But I think there's one thing that we know, and it's don't have preferences. I think there's another thing we know, which is fucking practice a lot. And realize that the lessons that you learn in whatever discipline, whether it's the sword, whether it's whatever, apply everywhere. That closes the scroll of water. We got one more kind of longer one. Two more quick ones, and then goddammit, we're gonna read the way to be followed alone. The scroll of fire. Let's just let's just get in. I write about battle and combat in this scroll of fire, for it is through the image of fire that I think of battle and the strategy of the school of two swords. In this world, people are alike in having too limited a conception of strategy. Often strategy is thought of in a small way. Some seek trivial advantages by using the ends of their fingers and an area of the wrist of three or five inches in length. They know how to be victorious in combat through movements of the forearm that they teach with a fan. Others teach the advantage of slight increases of speed through developing techniques of the arms and legs. I have engaged in combat many times in accordance with my strategy at the risk of my life I have discerned the principle that makes it possible to situate oneself between life and death, and I have learned the way of the sword. Holy shit! Fuck! I, I want to be between life and death? Fuck! Teach me, Musashi! Give me your ball sweat! I'm ready! Now he coaches us on mastering our emotions in the scroll of fire, saying, Think, who beside me in the world is going to attain direct communication and strategy? And also, I will surely achieve this one day, and then train from morning till night. When in this manner you have finished polishing, you will spontaneously acquire freedom and excellent ability, and in this way you will be able to gain access to the supernatural power. This is the vital essence of the practice of the method of the way. Well, shit. Okay, so practice a fucking shitload, and you'll have freedom. Hey, that sounds a little bit like discipline equals freedom and then you know there's actually kenji went down a little bit of a rabbit hole there's a bunch of kendo masters who actually think that uh, you can develop telepathy through training so much i don't know man i i feel like science would figure that out but you know if there's anybody in the whole damn world who fucking figured out telepathy it's musashi uh we're gonna we're just gonna kind of hit on some of the key ideas here he says this is so this is regarding the place of combat this is regarding the evaluation of the place a first teaching is to situate yourself with your back to the sun the same goes for light when you're fighting in a house so so basically what he's saying is put the put the advantages in your favor so it's not just the sun he's talking about 
He's talking about advantages. He's just using the sun as an example. And then he says, uh, and this is kind of interesting, he says, you should try to situate yourself on higher ground, however slightly. And this is what is called looking at your opponents from above. If you are in a house, consider the rear of it as the high place. So, you know, Jocko, the great Jocko, says that, uh, you know, take the high ground, blah, blah, blah. I don't even know what I'm talking about, but, you know, like, get on the roof and shoot people or something. Um, and that's what Jocko's trying to say. But this is crazy. Here we go. In the course of combat, you should try to direct your opponent toward your left side and drive them back in such a way they have their back to the difficult place. In any case, it is important to drive your opponent towards the difficult place. Drive them back without relenting so that they not they do not have a chance to turn their heads to recognize the difficulty of the place. And so, now I think the principle there is put all, in whatever you're doing, put all advantages in your favor and then drive your opponent into the area where they have the least advantage. Now I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read this because because anytime you you can say shit like this, it's fucking cool. Uh, he says, all through combat, preserve an untroubled mind with the sole idea of crushing your opponent. In this way, you will gain a victory with a mind that is so strong to its depth. All these examples are ways of taking the initiative by attacking before your opponent does. And then he says, uh, it's not possible to give the details in writing. You must find out for yourself, along with reading this text, you will be able to execute these three ways of taking the initiative. So he talks about three different ways of doing that, but I didn't read it. Um, although you may not necessarily be able to attack first, it is preferable to try to force your opponent to move through your initiative. In any case, in order to be able to take the initiative, train your mind well to strive towards a flawless victory by employing the wisdom of strategy. And so you, you see that with fighters a lot. You know, there's some fighters that even though they're counter punchers, that's their goal. You know, so they want the other person to go first, but that's playing right into their strategy. I think that's what I think that's what Dan Musashi's saying. And then he talks about holding down the headrest, and that's what he named it. I don't know about that. That you got to work on your marketing, Musashi, but. Um, when I, what I want to express by holding down on the headrest is a way of conducting yourself in combat in which you do not allow your opponent to raise his head. And I think that's really his actual head, but it's also metaphorical. So, you know, you got all the advantages at your back. You're driving him to the difficult place, but you don't, you don't relent. You don't let him uh, even take a breath. He says, what I mean to say by holding down on the headrest is different. If you are fighting as one having arrived at the true way, you can perceive the will of your opponent before he makes a move. If he intends to strike, you grasp the first letter of strike, S-T-R-I, and you do not allow him to complete his striking movement. That is the sense of holding down the headrest. For example, when your opponent means to attack, you grasp the letters ATT in attack. When he means to jump, you take the JU in jump. When he meets the slash, you seize the SLA in slash. All these have the same sense. In the course of combat, you allow him to do useless things while preventing him from doing anything effective. This is essential in strategy. So that's fucking crazy. So you got all the advantages at your back, you're driving him to the difficult place, 
but then this is saying as soon as he starts doing something you stop it as soon as he starts doing something but it's not even like you're in it's like when you sense that he's about to start doing something you're just like, bitch no okay and musashi just talks about this he says however working to prevent each movement your opponent tries to make is following his initiative the essential is for you to exercise in all techniques following the way correctly and in this manner you will come to the point where you can foresee the will of your opponent and prevent him from actualizing it by rendering all of his movements ineffective. Dominating your opponent in this manner proves that you are a true adept who has spent long years in training. You should examine well what I mean by holding down the headrest. So I, you know, I think that means that your pattern recognition isn't so legit that you're like, what would I do in this situation? And then you, know, you make a little bit of a calculation, you're like, yep, this bitch is gonna do it. And then you just shut it down immediately. So you're not following their initiative you're closing the door so they can even start their plans. Now, he's just going in over here. So we're going we're gonna to read another long section, but just shut up. Uh, getting over a critical passage. Here's what I call getting over a critical passage. I will take the example of navigation at sea. In certain straits, the currents are fast, and a distance of 40 or 50 leagues constitutes a critical passage. Also, in traversing life, a person encounters numerous critical passages. In navigating at sea, it is necessary to know the dangerous places, the position of the ship, and the weather. Without having a pilot ship, it is necessary to know how to adapt in each situation. The wind might blow from the side or from behind or even change. You must have the determination to row for a distance of two or three leagues in order to reach port. That is the way you can get over critical passions in a, in a ship at sea. This way of being also applies to traversing life. You must get over a critical passage with the idea that this event is unique. It is important during a combat of strategy also to get over critical passages. You get over them by precisely evaluating the strength of your opponent and your own capacity. The principle of this is the same as for a good captain who is navigating a passage at sea. Once the critical passage has been passed, the mind becomes calm. If you get past the critical point, your opponent will come out of it weakened and you will begin to take the initiative. You have then practically already won. So there's a few examples and actually I, you know, eight years ago, whatever, six years ago when I read this, there's a crazy fucking fight that you guys should Google with Kevin Randleman, rest in peace, and Fedor. Now, Fedor is this um, kind of chubby Russian guy who's so fucking good at fighting. And Kevin Randleman was this yoked out, steroid probably, wrestling badass. And so uh, Kevin Randleman slams the fucking shit out of Fedor on his neck. Like, you do that ten times, and he's breaking his neck, three of them. And Fedor just hunches down. He rolls with it. When you get thrown a lot, you end up learning how to fall. And he just, he just fucking goes with it. And then Kevin was just like, I just threw him as hard as I could. And he just is looking me in the eyes like he's not even hurt. And, you know, Fedor is probably fucked. I mean, because he's a person, he has to be fucked. But he got over that critical passage, and then he's then I, I think he armbarred or he, he triangled. He, he beat Kevin Randleman like ruthlessly, like just destroyed him. Um, and then there's a there's a saying we have in sales 
from uh, some good sales training that says be brave for 15 seconds at a time. And so a lot of times in sales, you're in these situations where there's the elephant in the room. You know, somebody says, yeah, you know, I'll look at your proposal, but my boss told me that, you know, we're not spending more money this year. Well, the, the right thing to do is to say, um, okay, well, hey, that's, that's no problem. Um, can we just talk through that? Because, you know, I'm, I'm more than happy to present, but like, I don't, I, I, I don't want to waste your or my time, um, you know, if you guys have already decided that it's not something you want to do. So, I mean, is this even a problem or I'm, I'm happy to just move on? And then either they'll say, you know what, I, yeah, man, we'll, we'll listen to you. And then you have a reason to, to go and, and to go present or they're like, yep, yep, don't worry about it. And so, you know, you, you got to get over that critical passage because the, the other option is just like, uh-huh, uh-huh uh-huh yeah okay cool yeah yeah and then and then you just present and then they don't return your fucking calls and then you kill yourself now now Musashi's just like this is just full-on he's just swinging his dick now like dick's been on the table for days uh, realizing the situation uh, here's what I call realizing the situation in group strategy it is necessary to recognize the moments when your opponents are at a high point and then where when they are at a low point and uh, I just have on here Nick Diaz because uh, the Diaz brothers are these crazy fighters that these lanky, bad attitude, jujitsu loving, just tough guys, but skinny like dad bod and they do triathlons. So they never get tired. So aerobically, they could fight you for four hours. Not, not even kidding. And so what they do is they'll, they'll, you know, they'll encounter these badass beast wrestlers who, you know, and wrestlers are really fast twitch. So, you know, wrestlers are like explosive. They're just, you know, popping in with a shot. They're slamming the Diaz brothers on the ground. They're trying to hit him with strikes. But the Diaz brothers have mastered this, this like way of absorbing punishment. And so, you know, they just, they're like, oh, they're at the high point right now. My job is to just like, be a squid and then after the wrestler is so fucking tired that squid just starts putting their tentacles around and squeezing and squeezing and squeezing until the wrestler's unconscious and or dead now he says recognizing the instant of collapse for each thing there exists an instant in which it collapses a house a person an adversary collapses over the course of time following discordances in cadence in group strategy once you have grasped the grasp the cadence of collapse of your adversaries it is essential to place them under attack without leaving them a single instance interval so i i remember this actually so i i was a oh i was a good wrestler in high school but i had asthma but also actually turns out i think i had like vocal cord dysfunction because i get so nervous that my like throat would close up it's like ah, ah, ah. and uh so i was like it took me a long time to be able to stay calm in a wrestling match and i never like did a great job at it but there's this one match i remember where like i took the guy down which typically i take him down and be like okay i'm gonna win and then i just like I would just like descend into hell and if I and then I typically win in like a minute or I would like not win and so it like I took this dude down and he was my bitch for a second and then he was fighting back 
and then I was like, oh, and I remember I was like eight seconds away from quitting. And I, I did almost like a Hail Mary, reached up, locked my hands, and bear hugged him, and just, just like, bent over Barbell Road as hard as I could. And then I ended up pinning him. But I was, I was so close to that moment of collapse. And so if he had known that, he would have uh, fought a little bit harder because I was about to, I was about to quit. Now he says, becoming your opponent. He says, here's what I call becoming your opponent. This is the thinking you do when you put yourself in his place. In life, there exists a tendency to overestimate the power of your adversary. Take, for example, a robber who, not having succeeded in fleeing, locks himself up in a house. If you put yourself in his place, surrounded with all of society as his enemy, you are desperately upset. Someone who locks himself up this way is a pheasant, and the person coming in to kill him is a falcon. You should think over this well. And so, I, the way that I'm interpreting this is, back in the day, especially for like wrestling versus Taekwondo was a very good contrast. So like Taekwondo, I always would just assume that I was gonna kick everybody's ass. Uh, Cause I practice a bunch. And so like, if someone got a lucky hit in, or like even the way I'm talking about, like if somebody got a hit in, I was always like, Ugh lucky but i started wrestling late and so i remember like thinking that my uh like respecting my opponents a lot like oh my god they must be so good they must be so good and then um you know when i respected them then it, it was like almost fall into this self-fulfilling prophecy so he's saying realize that the bad guy is as scared as you or, um, you know, don't assume they're better than you. Assume you can dominate them. And even if you're losing, they're just getting lucky. That was some notes I had from six years ago. Undoing four hands. Here's what I call undoing four hands. If you and your opponent are both doing the same thing, pushing one another back, the combat will not unfold to your advantage. As soon as you feel that you are being drawn into restraining your opponent by making an effort similar to his, drop what you're doing and seek to win by other means. The in, in individual strategy, as soon as you feel that you are fighting in the manner of four hands, change your attitude. You must win by employing a radically different means, recognizing clearly the state of your opponent. You must understand this well. You know, so if you guys are if you guys are striking. And it's like you're the same, and you know you're just trading shots. What he would say is, just immediately, just drop to grappling. Now he gets to some psychological torture tactics. Uh, infecting. Here's what I call infecting. This exists in everything. Sleep is infectious. Yawns are infectious, and this goes for time too. In group strategy, when you perceive in your adversaries a quality of indecision or haste. Pretend not to notice it and extremely slowly. That will influence your adversaries and they will relax their attitude. When you judge that they have in, that you have infected them sufficiently, seize this opportunity to win by attacking fast and bludgeon them to death with an oar. In individual strategy, it is important to win by attacking powerfully and fast in order to grasp the initiative by seizing the moment in which your opponent has relaxed because he has been infected by the relaxed quality of your mind. Now, uh, pool, billiards. It's a really, really good laboratory for psychological warfare. And my good friend and I, actually two good friends and I, 
we played a different style of pool. We played the normal games, but pool like apparently has etiquette and stuff. But nope, we played like two samurais dueling. Anything goes. You know, your grandma just died. Um, I'm gonna. Uh, your mom gave me a massage. But with infecting, my friend had started to develop this tiny bit of a bad habit, and so I would say. Hey man, I, I think you're I think you're developing a bad habit. Like after you'd miss a shot, I think you're developing a bad habit. Um, you know, just don't think about it. You know, smooth shot. You got this. You're you're a great pool player, man. You you seriously got this. And he would just be like, "Shut the fuck up!" And I'd infected him. And then when he'd missed, I would just like look at his hand. I wouldn't even say anything. Or like I would be practicing and pretending like I was trying to fix my bad habit. And then it would get in his mind, and his mind would be infected irritating your adversaries. One can become irritated in different ways. For example, as a result of a feeling of brushing the limits of danger, of facing the impossible, of surprise. You should examine this well. An individual strategy also. Show yourself as slow to begin with, then attack abruptly with force, and following the ups and downs of your opponent's concentration movements, take advantage of this opportunity to defeat him without slacking off even at the slightest extent. This is essential, you should examine it well. So, this is Musashi being late to his duels. It's my friend hit me with the, the craziest trash talk that ever, ever worked. Uh, he, he, he said, I was about to make the eight ball shot, and he would say, he said, you're colorblind. And I'm not colorblind, but for some reason I was like, ah, and then I just got pissed. I was like, shut up, dude, no, I'm not colorblind, I'm not. And then I missed, and then it became a thing. And uh, irritating my opponent, you know, growing up, I had, I had a good friend, my, my childhood nemesis, and I was always a little bit stronger than him. I was like one year older than him, and a little bit better at Taekwondo. Now he's a brown belt at Jiu-Jitsu. He would, dude, he would choke me to death in front of my wife, but, um, you know, I used to get him into compromising positions, and then I'd like just whisper in his ear, like, you're my bitch, you're my bitch, you're my bitch, oh yeah, how do you like that bitch? And you know, like, not nice, but you know, hey, some of niceness is about winning. Frightening. Anything can frighten. One allows oneself to be frightened by what one does not expect. In group strategy, you can frighten your adversaries not only by direct action, but also sometimes by making noises, sometimes by making a small thing look large, sometimes by making sudden attacking movements off to the sides. You should gain victory by relying on the advantage offered to you by the cadence of your adversary's fright. Same fucking friend. He, he broke... He, he took the vase of pool etiquette, filled with flowers and, and nice, beautiful pictures. He, he took that nice vase and he slammed it on the ground and broke it everywhere. He said, fuck pool etiquette. And I was about to beat him again on the eight ball. And I look up and I can see PTSD about this. I can see outlined in the light of my pool light, two hairy butt cheeks. And he was mooning me. And I, I, I was like, there's rules, man, there's rules. And he just was like, go ahead, bitch, take the shot. And I missed. Or think about the haka. So, you know, the, the all blacks, 
and and actually f prior to the All Blacks, I mean that's that's an ancient Maori war dance. So imagine you're going to war, you're kind of nervous, you're like la 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 la, oh god, I might die, and then you just see these just hulking monstrosities covered in fucking face tattoos sticking out their tongue, going like wah wah, you know. I knew the hawk at one point, but um, you gotta frighten you. And, and all of this is to say, use whatever techniques are available. He says, here is what I call hitting the corner. You cannot always cut something down directly, especially if it is powerful. In individual strategy, if you wound a corner of your opponent's body, this will weaken him, however slightly, and he will begin to crumble. It is then easy to win. And um, I don't really follow MMA anymore because... I don't know. I just have a lot of stuff to do, and like, kind of low key makes me so fucking nostalgic. And you know, and then I just get like all sweaty and like pumped up, and then I'm like at a bar and people are trying to talk to me. And I'm just like, why are you fucking talking to me? There's two men fighting the death on the TV. Shut up. But I did watch a compilation of Justin Gaitha, if that's how you say his name, his leg kicks. I mean, it's almost unfairly brutal. I mean, everybody else is trying to have a gentlemanly fight, you know. Hands up, kickboxing. He's not engaging in that. He is hitting a corner. He is just, his entire focus for the first round is just just hitting your fucking leg with a sledgehammer. I mean, just so fucking hard. And then you know, there's these people who has this game plan that come in that they're like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna take him down. I'm gonna kick him, I'm gonna do this. And then, you know, five minutes in, their game plan is destroyed because their legs are ground meat and their their calves feel like they got run over by trucks. Um, same thing, dude. Once you see the way in one thing, you see the way in all things. I've been uh, weirdly, I, I'm kind of an addictive person, so like I just don't get addicted to bad things mostly. Um, but I'm right now. I'm addicted to chopping wood. Can you believe it? I can't either, but hey, it's a good workout. I'm cutting right now, and so I'm just harnessing it. But if you get these big-ass pieces of wood, you can't just chop them in the middle. you got to chop the corner. you got to hit a corner. And then it falls away, as Musashi says. Troubling. Here's what I call troubling. It is preventing the adversary from having a confident mind. Now, my best and most last-ditch effort of playing pool when I knew that I was beaten but I had money on the line I was just hoping that I could fucking win I would say well looks like you won I'm gonna go ahead and put my cue away have a good night and I would walk out of the room and I wouldn't even watch them take the shot and fuck man it uh it it, it worked about half the time actually and then I actually was talking to my wife about this podcast and she was, she's a fucking badass. Like, she was a state-level cheerleader, uh, record-setting pole vaulter. I mean, she dug, like, 60, no, like, 100 post holes over four days. She took, because the auger didn't work. She's a beast. But uh, her cheerleading team, they were warming up for state, and one of the girls fell and broke her ankle. And they had 30 seconds to reorganize their whole routine. And, I mean, so think about that. Like, you've been practicing this for fucking five months. And everybody has, like, such an intuitive grasp of the routine that in 30 seconds they reorganized it. And then they came out and they were carrying this girl. 
And then the other team apparently booed. My wife, like, still hates this school. Like, we were talking about, oh, maybe we could live there. She's like, fuck that school. We're never going to live there. They're all bitches. I'm like, Jesus Christ. Like, they're all, no, they're not. They're all, like, 16. Chill. Um, but then they fucking won state because the judges saw. But then it just, I mean, it just sapped the, it sapped the will to fight from their, from their enemies. Whatever you call it. The opposing cheerleading team concealing yourself here's what i call concealing yourself when two large groups oppose each other in battle if your adversaries are powerful conceal yourself by attacking first in one direction then as soon as you find your adversaries beginning to crumble leave them as they are and re redirect your attack towards the other powerful group move more or less as though you were zigzagging down a slope this strategy is important when you're fighting alone against many opponents do not try very hard to win on each side but as soon as you have made one side fall back, attack on another side when your opponent is strong. Speaking of addictions, my good friend and I got so addicted back in the day to Call of Duty Modern Warfare 3. And that is the exact technique that you do when you're on wave 32 and all of the enemies are just, just coming at you. And you can't sh kill them because if you stand out there and kill them, you'll just get mowed. So what you do is you, you pop out and you, you do like two headshots and then you run and then you pop out and you do two headshots you run and then you run all the way around the map and dude we like merged consciousnesses it was great Consci consciousness i now full disclosure i'm hard right now smashing here's what i call smashing for example it is important to have in mind to smash the adversary determinedly considering him to be weak while viewing yourself as strong in group strategy if the adversaries are few in number or even if they're many they are in a state of weakness when they are moving from indecision in a disoriented condition. Smash them, starting at the head, adding this and an explosive, adding to this an explosive burst of energy that has the sensation of pushing them and smashing them. If you do not smash them enough, it is possible they may regain their strength. So smash them as though you held them in your hands. You must understand this well. And I have a note from 2012 in like size 85 font. Smell blood. I don't exactly know what that means, but I mean, well, I know what, I don't know what smell blood means. I know what smash them means. So like, check, I got it, Musashi. I got to, I got to practice a shitload and I just got to smash whatever I'm going after. Okay. I can do that. Now here he talks about ripping out the bottom. Here's what I call ripping out the bottom. When you fight against an opponent, it might happen that you get the impression of having one on account of the advantage of the way. But it could be that the mind of your adversary has not been broken and that his defeat has been superficial while in its depth his mind has not been defeated in this case abruptly renew your mind and batter him until his mind has been broken and he feels completely defeated it is essential to ascertain this you rip out the bottom of his resistance with your sword with your body and also with your mind it is not appropriate to think of this in just one way it is when he has collapsed from the very bottom that you no longer need to maintain your vigilance. Otherwise, you must maintain it. But as long as in its depth he maintains his mind, it's difficult to bring him to collapse. So, I mean, that's pretty that's pretty crazy. And that's just that's just pointing out how the mind is the most important thing uh, in, in any fight, in any endeavor. I mean, you know, uh, Geary was more badass than some professional MMA fighters that I trained with because they were lazy. You know, we'd be like, we'd be kicking the bag and they'd be like, 
What? I'm like, bitch, I didn't say anything. You're just trying to talk to me because you're tired. Shut up. Whereas Geary would just go to that berserker place and just go like, Chup! So you got to rip out the bottom because when they're, when they're not broken, you can't win. Uh, renewing yourself. Here's what I call renewing yourself. If at the time of combat, you feel yourself entangled with your opponent and the fight is stagnating, you throw off your preceding sensations and renew your thoughts as though you were doing everything for the first time. In this way, you employ a new cadence to achieve victory. Now, I really, really, I just read this when I was preparing for this podcast and I got a got a nice, big, colorful tattoo. Don't tell my mom. I told her not to listen to this podcast though because it would, it would offend her. Um, I got a big, colorful tattoo on my ribs and uh oh my god it hurts so much like i was i was a total beast for like the first three hours and then the tattoo artist was like just just for science where does it hurt the most and that that little thought started spiraling for spiraling and i was like everywhere oh right there's the most right there's the most ah and then i was just in mortal agony for like an hour and i remember i was like okay misashi says to renew myself Ah! And I tried to renew myself, and then like 10 seconds later, I was like, oh, god damn it, it hurts so much. So, you know, that's why we practice the way, because obviously it's it's harder than it looks. Now he closes out this, this just legendary scroll of large dicks with the body of a rock. Here's what I call the body of a rock. He who has mastered the way of strategy can immediately become like a rock. At this point, he will never receive a sword blow, and nothing will be able to move him. The details will be given orally. Oh, goddammit, Usashi, you're dead! I have written in the foregoing what I think uninterruptedly in the practice of the sword of my school. This is the first time I have written on this principle. There are therefore confusions in the organization of the sentences, and I have not been able to express myself down to the small details. Nonetheless, this text will serve to guide the mind of those who study this way. For mastering the true way of the sword and for defeating your adversaries in combat, the principle is in no way different. If you obtain the power of the knowledge of the way of strategy, and if you act correctly, there'll be no doubt of your victory. Holy shit, Musashi. Dude, I'm sweaty. I, I don't have any more cum. Come on, man. We got a, two more scrolls that go fucking fast because those were the those were the meaty ones. Um, this is the the scroll of wind. And basically, uh, Musashi just kind of goes in against all these other schools. Um, I write the scroll of wind on the subject of other schools of strategy in order in this scroll to explore what they are. You cannot know with certainty the way of your own school without knowing the way of others. And, you know, then he spends a bunch of time talking about, you know, the schools that use large swords are bad. The schools that use short swords are bad. The schools that use speed, that use brute force are bad. And all of that, in my mind, is to say that it's because they have preferences. They say that, you know, we are the school of the large sword. But when you think like that, there'll be a situation where you need to just bum rush somebody in prison shank them with your naginata, whatever the hell that is. That's probably way too big to prison shank someone. I didn't Google it. But um, and it, so if you're like, well, my, I'm the school of the large sword, then 
you know, you're going to be missing out on opportunities that you could have been able to take advantage of. It says the same thing. There's apparently schools that tell you how to gaze, tell you how to move your feet. And I think he's saying, you know, understand those, understand those principles, but be formless. Realize that, you know, like, okay, cool. Hey, in this situation, it looks like I'm going to have to stand on one foot and I'm going to have to hop up and down as I hack this person to death. Now, this is interesting. So he talks about schools that distinguish depth and surface. In questions of strategy, what is meant by surface and what is meant by depth? But as the principle comes into play at the time of combat with an adversary, you cannot say that you fight him with techniques on the surface and cut him down with those of depth. So what that, that's basically saying is there's a lot of schools that like you'd start out as a, as a white belt, you're just like a pledge, and they're like, hey, this is how we chop. But then after you train that with them for two years, they're like, okay, now this is actually secretly how we chop. Then after you train with them for like 10 years, they're like, okay, bitch, seriously, for real, this is how we chop. And then after you train with them for like 35 years, they're like, actually, we just like to throw the sword like this. And so what Musashi says, he says, no, fuck that, okay? We're gonna master the fundamentals. He says, in my school's teaching of strategy, you teach, tech, you teach techniques that are easy to assimilate for those who are beginning in the study of the way, giving them an explanation that they can understand right away, observing the degree of their advancement, you progressively give them explanations that direct them towards more and more profound principles. You cause them to enter naturally into the true way that conforms to the principle of the warriors so that his mind will be free from doubt, such as the way of strategy. And actually, because of the powers of the internet, there's this uh, badass former Special Forces soldier, Mike Glover, Fieldcraft Survival, and I bought his defensive pistol course, and it's just online. And he seriously, fucking Musashi style, he just doesn't even have, he's not even on a range, and it's live, it's uh, over the internet, and there's a whiteboard, and he basically says that Special Operations soldiers, they're not the best because they do high-speed shit. They're the best because they've mastered fundamentals in all aspects. And so that seems pretty fucking similar to what Gade Musashi says. And so he closes out this scroll by saying, if we observe things from the point of view of the way of the world, and also from that of correct human reasoning, these schools follow partial ways because one of them is attached solely to length, another speed, another the short sword. I do not need to be specific about whether I'm talking about the entry or the depth of such and such school because everybody knows. Basically, you we know who you're talking about. All of these bitches suck. In my school, there's neither depth nor entry for the art of the sword. And there are no fixed guard positions. The essence of strategy is solely that the mind learns virtue from it. And I think that's the Bruce Lee idea that has imbued MMA that we just care about what works and there's times when point karate would be the best thing to do in an MMA fight there's not a lot of times but there's some fucking times and if you're closed off if you're like well I'm the Muay Thai guy you're gonna be missing out so that closes out the scroll of wind basically he just like I uh, just took a giant shit on um, all the other schools and so we're gonna close. You know, I, I decided just let's just let's just go for it. Just get your dicks ready. I, I've been coached not to say that, but I just I just like saying it so much. But um, the scroll of heaven. We're gonna we're gonna read it all, and it also could be translated as the scroll of emptiness. 
In this scroll of emptiness, I elucidate the way of strategy of the school of two swords. The meaning of emptiness is space where there is nothing, and I also envisage, envisage emptiness as that which cannot be known. Emptiness, of course, is where there is nothing. Knowing that which does not exist while knowing that which exists, that is emptiness. Well, goddamn, Musashi, that's confusing as fuck. In this world, some people think of emptiness in an erroneous fashion, interpreting it as not distinguishing anything. This is the product of a mind gone astray. It is not true emptiness. In addition, for the way of strategy, emptiness does not mean disregarding the law in order to practice the way of the warrior. Some also speak of emptiness as existing where they find nothing to do because of many doubts. But that is not true emptiness. The warrior must learn the way of strategy with certainty by practicing the different disciplines of the martial arts and he should not disregard anything connected to the practice of the way of the warrior. He should put into practice from morning till night without tiring and without letting his mind wander. He should polish his mind and his will and sharpen the two visions. The one that consists in looking and the one that consists in seeing. He should know that true empty space is where the clouds of, of uncertainty have completely dissipated. As long as you remain ignorant of the true way, even if you think you are on a sure way and that you are doing well in accordance with Buddhist laws or in accordance with the laws of the world, you will deviate from the true way because you overestimate yourself and your way of seeing is distorted. You understand it if you see things with the direct way of the mind and take into account the great code of the world. Know this state of mind and take as fundamental that which is straight. Conceive of the way with a sincere mind. Practice strategy broadly. Think on a large scale with accuracy and clarity. Think of emptiness as the way and the way as emptiness. In emptiness, the good exists and evil does not. Knowing exists, the principle exists, the way exists, and the mind is void. Well, fuck. Who knows what that shit means, but it sounds real important. And, I mean, I'm thinking it means practice until you find enlightenment because, um, you know, anybody who's incredibly good at anything seems to have some wisdom. And that closes out the fucking Book of Five Rings. And so before we go, before we close this whole shit out, we are going to have the pleasure, the honor of reading his death note. The last thing that he wrote before he died. The way to be followed alone. Do not go against the way of the human world that is perpetuated from generation to generation. Do not seek pleasure for its own sake. Do not in any circumstances depend upon a partial feeling. Think lightly of yourself and think deeply of the world. Be detached from desire your whole life. Do not regret what you have done. It's easy to say for you, you sociopathic serial killer hack and 12-year-olds to death. Never be jealous of others, either in good or in evil. Never let yourself be saddened by separation. Resentment and complaint are appropriate neither for yourself nor others. Do not let yourself be guided by the feeling of love. 
Oh my God, Musashi. In all things, do not have any preferences. Do not have any particular desire regarding your private domicile. It's like, live in a cave. Fuck you. Do not pursue the taste of good food. Shut up, bitch. Do not possess ancient objects intended to be preserved for the future. Do not act following customary beliefs. Do not seek especially either to collect or to practice arms beyond what is useful. Do not shun death in the way. Do not seek to possess either goods or fiefs for your old age. Respect Buddha and the gods without counting on their help. You can abandon your own body, but you must hold on to your honor and never stray from the way of strategy. Now, a few of those things that I just want to highlight here. Number three, do not in any circumstances depend upon a partial feeling. God damn it, anything worth doing is worth overdoing and moderations for cowards. I agree, Musashi. Number 12, do not have any particular desire regarding your private domicile. That's crazy, but I can sleep anywhere. You know, the best night of sleep I ever got, my good friend, I had a bachelor party. Uh, we played Redneck Power Hour. So every time uh, we listened to country for an hour, and every time they said truck, girl, or country, we'd take a drink of beer. And if they said tractor, we'd take a shot, maximum two shots. And uh, we all, I, I threw up in a garden. It was crazy. And I, I slept next to two piles of vomit, and I woke up refreshed. Number 11, going backwards, in all things, do not have any preferences. That is probably the most mind-blowing thing that I've taken from this whole book. That it's, you know, everybody's so attached to certain things, but, you know, that my, that point my wife made about that extraction movie, that's exactly fucking right. If you have to dress up as a damn woman, all, we don't care about, we don't care how we win, we're just trying to win. 15, do not act following customary beliefs. Well, goddamn it, I got this one down. Number 20. You can abandon your body, but you must hold on to your honor. And that's that's of the times. I mean, it was such an honor culture. And then just say it again. Number 21, never stray from the way of strategy. So heifers, that might be the most we've ever covered. So I, I sit here in awe, having dug deep into this legendary swordsman, the greatest swordsman in human history. You know, I marvel at the probability that this text would be in my hands. I'm confused by some parts of this book. I don't understand a lot of it. Yet, I feel like I'm holding on to something of value. Like, like fucking whispers of greatness bounce around me and I just need to reach out and grab them. Something equally old but also ageless. Hints of the path. The path of training, of practice, of seeking one thing in 10,000 things, whatever the fuck that means. That chopping wood, sails, swimming, creating a podcast can all be the same, the way. And though we might not all be master swordsmen or even ever get the privilege of chopping someone in half with a sword, we can all practice, we can all study, we can train from sun up to sundown, as he says, and hope our mind expands in all ways. Because as this legendary hero, which nowadays meets the technical classification for a serial killer says, once we see the way in one thing, you see the way in all things. 
So go forth, my priests, into the night, and return with hundreds of scalps, as we all try to get rich, jacked, and become gods among men. And that, my pretties, is another episode down of the Curiously Disagreeable podcast. Check us out at CuriouslyDisagreeable.com, the Troy Hollings on Instagram, or wherever the fuck you get your podcasts. The end.